Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, talk radio. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to what the government is doing in terms of this coronavirus pandemic. Lots of different aspects uh, to uh, what is going on. Let's talk to local government minister, Simon Clark. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, now, there's lots to talk about in terms of uh, of, of what uh, you know, is going on in terms of local government. But first of all, can we focus on the issue of PPE? It continues to be front page news day after day after day. This lack of supplies of PPE, uh, this this military plane that's flown to Turkey to try and pick up uh, some, some PPE there that's been delayed, uh, problems with uh, people accessing it, uh, and even some claims in some of the papers today that there are British firms who are supplying PPE. They've got loads of supplies. They've flown in from China and they are offering it to the NHS and no one's even bothering returning their calls or accepting their offers and so they're exporting it to other countries. This has been, with all due respect to the government, I know everyone is trying their best, but this has been a bureaucratic failing, hasn't it? Good morning. Well, it's been an extraordinary challenge, let's put it in those terms. We've clearly uh, managed to source almost a billion pieces of PPE which have gone to the front line of our fight against coronavirus. That's a staggering quantity, 1,000 million pieces. We fully recognise that we are engaged in a global challenge here. And of course, all countries are looking to maximise their resources. There's been a lot of commentary about this flight uh, to Turkey, and it is uh, a difficult situation. We've sent out an RAF plane now to receive it. Uh, there, There is no question that this is a frustrating situation, but we are not reliant on this single shipment. Just yesterday, we received Uh, 140,000 gowns from Myanmar. There'll be further shipments in the coming uh, days of PPE into the country. And meanwhile, we're ramping up uh, our own domestic capabilities by appointing Lord Paul Dayton, who helped to coordinate the 2012 Olympics and brings vast uh, commercial experience to help develop our own uh, domestic supply chain even further. Obviously, there are a lot of hopes that that will happen, but there's also uh, some talk that we should actually have someone overseeing testing as well. An individual person, Tony Blair has suggested this, uh, and others, that actually an individual person who can ramp up the testing to that 100,000 level uh, day, which was promised by the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. Is that likely to happen as well? Well, we have uh, Lord Bethel, who is the Lords Minister in the Department of Health and Social Care, and he is specifically tasked with the Uh, testing program. And and we are seeing great progress there. So we started from a low base. We have a great 
uh, diagnostic industry in the UK, but it is small. We don't have the mass testing facilities which were available to Germany at the outset of this. So we, we could test 2,000 people a day at the outset. That capability has now gone up to 36,000 slots a day. We need to make sure every one of those slots is filled, which they aren't being currently. And so we have broadened uh, the range of key workers who have access to those. And we're then rolling out the next phase of these mega labs, the Lighthouse Labs. A new one will open in Cheshire today. And by the end of the month, we will double the number of testing sites around the country from the current 26 to 50, all of which will make it physically easier for key workers to actually get to one that's near where they live and work. So and that's been, that's been a our, crucial our issue, hasn't it? Because a lot of NHS workers doing double shifts, perhaps you're working 12 hours and then being told, can you drive 30 miles to go and get a test? That doesn't really work, does it? In practical terms, clearly that's enormously, uh, enormously stretching. So, yes, we do want to make sure we have as many of these testing sites as locally as we can get them. And that is something we will continue uh, to develop. You're right. It simply isn't uh, isn't realistic to ask people to drive, uh, you know, 100 miles to a testing site. We're working to bring that down so that everyone is within at least 45 minutes of a testing site. And clearly, as, as things go on, we hopefully can refine that even further. Indeed. Well, let's talk about uh, what uh, the uh, your uh, you've done today. You've written to all local councils in England, confirming that one point six billion pounds of extra funding that was announced at the weekend for councils. So that takes it to a three point two billion pounds extra money handed out to councils in England. What's that money for? Well, it's for a variety of things. It's partly because obviously some additional expenditure has been incurred on key programmes, for example, like shielding. Uh, the vulnerable, which is something which my department is helping uh, to coordinate. But it's also because council's income has seen a marked fall off in the, in, the, in this crisis. That's partly because obviously their, their revenue from fees and charges, uh, for example, car parking has just dropped off uh, a cliff. But it's also because uh, clearly there are real costs uh, in terms of their council tax base and their business rates base, which we're still working with the sector to fully understand as these evolve, but clearly with companies closed and with unemployment rising, the, the tax base of local government is being eroded. And so therefore this money is to help make sure that the sector is resilient. It's also uh, because obviously the sector is responsible for delivering large parts of social care. Uh, and clearly that's a, a massively important sector. We are seeing you know, big demands on adult social care. And this is to make sure the sector can continue to provide the right quality of care throughout this crisis. But that's a worry, isn't it? Because we know that care home groups and individual care home bosses and representatives have said that they, they are simply not seeing this money. The money has been given to local councils. They've got that in their coffers. Yes, of course, they are facing lots of uh, uh, you know downfalls in their income anyway. But a lot of that money is meant to make sure they do keep care homes functioning. Care homes saying that money isn't getting through to them. Well, uh, all councils need to work closely with their uh, care homes. And I know that they do. Uh, you know, this is a big challenge for the care sector. It, I mean, we are working very hard to make sure they have the right resources that they need at this time in terms of making sure that everyone who leaves hospital is is tested before they are uh, admitted to a, uh, before they are admitted into the wider care home. So they're kept in a quarantine until that testing is uh, occurred. We're making sure that uh, PPE is delivered to the care sector as well via our local resilience fora. And then, yes, there is this challenge of making sure that the extra money we're paying to councils translates into 
the proper financial support for the care homes in their charge. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the absolutely crucial thing because, of course, this money isn't ring-fenced, is it? So councils can spend it on anything they want. Should it not be ring-fenced to, to be directed at urgent care like social care? Well, we don't ring-fence it precisely because that leads to inflexibilities. And the sector is very clear that it prefers to have the maximum degree of uh, control over how it spends this. And I think that I think that is right. What I can say is the overwhelming majority uh, in percentage terms is going to meet the costs of social care in any event. That is the uh, the absolute core uh, core purpose of this funding, and it's something which uh, you know we're seeing in the in the readout we're getting from the sector that the great majority of this funding is is in fact going to social care. Okay. And what do you make of uh, how local councils are operating at this time? Again, they do have a lot of extra pressures on them. We know that. But then some councils have made decisions, for instance, to close parks at a time where they say, oh, you know, some people are sunbathing. So we're going to uh, stop anyone else using the park rather than just perhaps sending the police in or authority, other figures, you know, park officers in to talk to the people who are not obeying the social distancing rules or the one hour exercise rule. Um, do you think local councils are doing a good job, especially those who are closing parks to people who need our outdoor space more than ever? Well, I think our council sector as a whole has done an amazing job in responding to this challenge. And, you know, one of the particular highlights in the new uh, story today is that uh, they've paid out already 6.1 billion of the business grants to 491,000 small businesses, which is a a great success story. That's happened in in the space of just two weeks. They didn't have uh, bank details for most of those businesses. They've now done that. Uh, and obviously, we're now halfway on the journey to getting that full 12 billion uh, paid out. So that's another success. I think uh, yeah, there, is a, there is a particular issue around parks. Our guidance is clear that we think parks should be open, that they represent a lifeline of green space, as you rightly say, in terms of mental and physical health uh, during a lockdown. We are working closely with those authorities where they haven't uh, reopened parks or whether they've, where they've decided to close them to work out how we can best facilitate them reopening. Because whilst we recognise the challenges around policing behaviour in parks, it is something which we believe can be done safely and does represent uh, a a proper social asset at a time when our lives are already uh, under severe limitation. Okay, just finally, there's going to be a debate today, discussion today among the scientists and medics who are advising the government about the use of face masks and whether we should all be advised to wear them in public. Some countries are uh, advising that. Um, do you, have you ever, are you wearing face masks in your general working life or when you're out and about at the supermarket? No, I've never uh, worn a face mask. And, you know, we'll have to see what the scientific advice says later, because at the moment there's no clear uh, scientific consensus as to what the right thing uh, to do is, and we have consistently been led throughout this process by what uh, the best practice advises us, and so that won't be any different uh, in this case. For now, we continue to prioritise all available PPE to the front line of NHS and social care, which I think is the right uh, priority, but we shall wait and see uh, what the guidance uh, emerges as later on. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. 
Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now, let's talk to my next guest, Christian Lindmar, who's a spokesman for the World Health Organization. Good morning to you, Christian. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And indeed, just trying to go through those figures that just are popping up on my computer right now. I suppose is, I suppose one of the biggest difficulties right now that we have in terms of each country, knowing what is happening in their own country, how many people are dying with or of coronavirus, those are different things, where they are dying in the community, in care homes or in hospitals, where, of course, it's easy to get figures, but also the difficulty of making those international comparisons with other countries when often the figures are compiled in very different ways and on different timelines. It makes it very difficult to know which country is doing well or not. That's exactly the problem because there's no uh, standardized reporting about it. And I would like to flag another issue around this. Um, Let's not forget um, patients who are seriously ill and who need ventilation and emergency room for two, three weeks or longer. Um, They also occupy in a good sense, of course, but they take space of the capacity in the emergency rooms, and that's what the health systems are very often not prepared for. So by having seriously ill corona patients, which hopefully in afterwards even survive, uh, this puts a lot of strain on the healthcare system, and other patients who may need help uh, may not get it. So this is a chain of, uh, of, of, of events, so to say. So only looking at the deaths is one thing, and it's sad enough. Uh, and comparison is difficult, but the whole strain on the health system is the second issue. Yeah, I mean, and that's been one of the issues that has been raised a lot in recent weeks, the idea that actually we are seeing a lot of um, hidden deaths uh, from other causes that are simply not being reported. And, of course, we may see more right. in the future because of people not going to get, you know, a lump being tested, not wanting to go to the doctor. And also, of course, so many routine operations being cancelled, um, which, of course, could often uh, lead to problems. But in terms of these, these latest death figures we've had, it does suggest, you know, we, we are seeing deaths in care homes. We are seeing them in the community. And often, of course, those are deaths that uh, have not been counted in many countries. Some countries, I think France includes care home deaths, Italy doesn't. Uh, And that means when we do these international comparisons, when we see these graphs, it's almost impossible to compare like with like. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget, it's also difficult in such a situation when there's anyway a high uh, demand on the healthcare system to do an exact reporting. So this is why 
these cases are sometimes missing. Just recently, we had an uptick in the reporting from China because this is exactly what they had done now, weeks and weeks after their cases, that they had time to look deeper into the community deaths, to look deeper into uh, scenarios where people had not been, their deaths had not been counted uh, as COVID-19 related because it was simply not detected or not reported. So when in the hindsight, these, these uh, statistics are being updated, we will most likely see an uptick um, of these deaths. And yes, comparison is difficult because it has no standardized reporting. In the hindsight, this may be much easier. And in terms of just coming out of the, uh, the, the lockdown that so many countries are in, um, obviously the countries that are at the forefront and who've gone, to, gone through the epidemic earlier, they are going to have to make more difficult choices. There are other countries like the UK maybe are going to be able to watch what happens in, in say, France, in Italy and, and see what they're doing as they're in Germany as they come out of their lockdowns, what works, what doesn't. What is the World Health Organization advice at the current time in terms of what is the best route out, what is the best exit strategy? There's no one-size-fits-all thing. Uh, that, that's the most important. Every, every country, every region, every city might face a different scenario. It depends a lot um, on your individual risk assessment. So um, it needs a, a system where when you, when you shut off or when you open up the society again, which everybody is, of course, desperately looking for, everybody wants to go back to their fairly normal uh, lives, you will see an, an increase or it's, it's possible to see another increase in cases. So the health system needs to be prepared for this. We need capacity in, in, the, in the health system. We also need an awareness in the situation that um, just because you can now move again, uh, this doesn't mean that this scenario is over, that the, the, the threat of coronavirus or COVID-19 is over. It's not like a faucet which you turn off and there's no, no drop of anything anymore. This is a continuous risk of infection which needs to be controlled. That means a certain uh, physical distance has to be uh, maintained. The, the hygiene, the hand hygiene especially has to be uh, maintained. The healthcare system has to be able to cope with another possible influx of cases. Um, then, of course, you still have the scenarios of the health, of vulnerable settings. So the best approach seems to be to go step by step. You loosen um, um, you, you, the, 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 the grip on the society. You, you loosen up um, you ease the motions and the movement of people and you monitor for a couple of days or weeks how this is progressing. And if this goes well, then you can implement another stage of, of opening up. So go step by step and carefully monitor uh, what's going on so that yep. what we don't want to have is an er too early, too quick opening and then a big reflux of cases, which then will come back to the same scenario we have now, to lockdown scenarios, to strain on the society. So this is what we def definitely want to avoid. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Well, let's talk about something to cheer us up. A Run for Heroes campaign that set out to raise just £5,000 for the NHS has smashed its total by millions. The idea was to raise money for the organisation that's on the front line of the coronavirus crisis, and it was the brainchild of Olivia Strong from Edinburgh. She managed to get the support of celebrities to get people using their daily exercise uh, to cover five kilometres and seek a £5 donation and nominate five others to do the same. And then it snowballed. Well, let's talk to Olivia Strong, the founder of Run for Heroes, who joins us now. Olivia, good morning to you. 
<laughs> Good morning. Thanks I for having me a- on. I would love you to speak to you. I remember seeing this in the papers when you first started. So I thought, well, this is a really nice idea. We're going to be doing exercise anyway. It's a great opportunity to try and get fit. Whether you've got a running machine at home, as some people, crazy people, seem to do, or you're out running uh, for you know for, for that hour a day, why not? Why not try and get a donation, raise some money, uh, and uh, and give that money to a good cause? And then it kind of got out of control, didn't it? How many people so far have taken part in the fundraising campaign, and how much have they raised? Um, I think we're sitting at about four point three million pounds now, which I mean, <laughs> forgive me if my maths is wrong, but it's over eight hundred thousand runners globally, um, which is absolutely amazing. You know, it started as a really small fundraiser with family and friends um in Edinburgh and it kind of has just snowballed to to a global movement almost. <laughs> I think it's absolutely wonderful. Now, one of the reasons that why it did snowball, apart from the fact that I think the simplicity and the, the well worth idea was also that you managed to get the support of some celebrities. So Mo Farah, who I think I think 5K for him, that's just, you know, just a little, a little something he does pour a cup of tea. Uh, the singer Ellie Goulding and the cricketer Johnny Burstow, they've all joined in and endorsed this. Yeah, it's been amazing. And we had Princess Eugenie the other day, which was um, which was so cool. And I think that it just shows that Everybody is in the same position and everybody just wants to try and do more for such a worthwhile cause being, you know, the NHS workers. Um, yeah, on the indeed. front line of COVID-19. Yeah, so when, what, yeah, we, we keep hearing about people raising money. Of course, we know the most famously, came, uh, Captain Thomas More has, has raised millions and millions for, for frontline workers. What are you going to do with the money? Who is it actually going to go to? How is it going to be spent? So um, all the money goes directly to the NHS charities together, um, COVID-19 appeal, which was a bid to protect the welfare of the NHS workers. Um, they It goes to things such as, you know, well-being packs for them if they have to stay overnight, to sleep pods, um, to wobble rooms. So it's it really is about just making sure that, you know, they've got um, things that make their life a little bit easier right now. Yeah, while they're actually on the front line, we know many of them working, you know, round the clock shifts, absolutely exhausted, and uh, and just making their lives a little a little bit easier. Now, the whole point is that it was it was launched uh, on on the twenty sixth of April. Uh, so sorry, it's, sorry, the two point six challenge also is going to be launched on twenty sixth of April, and that's of course the date that should have been the fortieth London Marathon, which has been cancelled. Uh, and, and 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 so there are just so many different uh, attempts for people to you know to keep their running up uh, and 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 do a bit of good while they're doing it. Well, yeah, exactly. And actually, we've just um, we've we've teamed up with Virgin um, Money and, and the Marathon to give away two spots um, in the the 2020 um, marathon this year, which is really exciting. So we're kind of running a bit of a competition at the moment um, for somebody like to to be a run for years ambassador, which will be lovely. Wonderful. Well, tell tell us how people can take part. Yeah, if they haven't um, already, or if they have, they should head to our Instagram account first, which is at run.for.heroes. Um, if they don't have Instagram, not a problem. We also have a website, a Twitter and a Facebook, um, or just our giving page, which all the information is on there. And um, You don't need to be nominated to take part. You can start your own thread of people, um, you know, run five or walk or cycle five kilometres. Um, I've even seen people, you know, swim in the sea for five minutes. Then donate five pounds and then nominate Lovely. five of your friends. Do the same. That's fantastic. And I say a great opportunity to keep fit. Do some good and uh, and uh, get a bit of enjoyment out of it as well. Well, I mean, I say I, I absolutely salute you. And I'm sure everyone listening does. They do ordinary, you know, ordinary people going about their ordinary lives. You just have a nice idea. They think, well, why don't we do this? And you let it snowball and, and you end up doing so much good. And really just so proud of you and, and just salute you for, for, for getting off your backside and doing something that's going to make a difference to people's lives. Well done. Olivia Strong, founder of Run for Heroes. Do find them. You can find them online. And she said all those different ways and why not take part online 
on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10.